Welcome to another episode of the Heck Yeah Comics Podcast with your hosts, David and Nick. In this episode, we discover who is dead no more, catch the seven to eternity, go back with the wicked and the divine, and find out what the number 10 million really means. Stay tuned for all this and more. No, Nick, you forgot where the theme song was located. Which is uh, why there was that delay. I probably didn't know where it was located because I don't have access to any of the files. See, that's right, everybody. Welcome to Heck Yeah Comics Podcast. I'm David. That's Nick. I am the puppet master. Nick is the puppet. He is just here to dance for your amusement. Uh, dance for the people, Nick. Dance. Yes, yes. Dance. More, more. Man, this is really great radio. <laughs> You're uh, forcing so someone David else to dance. and I dance. have decided to take a break from our Overwatch playing to grace you with our presence our voice presence the presence of our voices excellent great start nick stop talking david continue uh yes now nick i didn't tell you this um but the last episode where we talked a lot about overwatch Uh has been lost to the ether i don't know what happened i can't find files so you mean that common I told joke I just had about how we're taking a break from Overwatch false make black because no one knows? Makes no sense. Why am I just finding out now? I wanted to do this in a public place so you wouldn't freak out. I guess I won't freak out. But don't forget everybody. No, do not Rick roll me. We went over this last week. I have I have an extension on my Chrome that occasionally Rick rolls me, and I was about to play uh the the Overwatch theme, so we could go through that whole bit again. But no, no, I'm not about to get Rickrolled. There we go. Welcome, everybody, to the Overwatch podcast, where yada yada... That's oh, not the same. Yeah, so, um, I'm sorry, folks, that you didn't get to listen to last week's episode that David lost. I did not lose. My computer lost it. That David lost. Um... Well, everybody. Yeah, so, uh, I mean, yeah, we had this whole thing about um, how we play Overwatch pretty much religiously at this point. Yeah, yeah, but well, uh, it kind of lost its thunder now. I don't since, know if I'm ever going to play again. That's a line, you know it. Since that is not happening, though, we will be talking about the fact that 10 million comics shipped in August and what exactly that means. Before we get to that, though, we are going to take a look at the rest of the news. This just in, Beverly Hills 90210, Cleveland Browns 3. All right, coming hot off the press, uh, we have word from the Warner Brothers CEO that he believes the DC films have room for improvement. How mature of him. That actually is... And transparent. Yeah, it really is. It's, uh... 
You know, so Jeff Jeff Bukes said in the Q&A that there was a little room for improvement, which is a, a big deal for someone in a corporate position to admit, look, our products are not really performing great in the way that we'd mm -hmm. want them to because they want them to be making billions of dollars and they're currently only making hundreds of millions. Uh, but, you know, DC is uh, DC is actually being pretty cool about this overall, I would say, where they are admitting okay, look, there's some faults, we hear you, and we, we do want to fix it. It's just going to, you know, we just, as fans, have to realize that's going to take a little bit of time. Yeah, I mean, I think that anyone that's sitting in their basement stewing about this and, and not letting it go, you know, they have Let it go. some mixed-up priorities. But Let it go. Uh, as, as, as lukewarm anymore. as the response has been and my own feelings towards the films, even though I'm probably a bit more... Um, positive? Positive towards them. Um, you know, there's definitely a lot of room for improvement. So I'm, I'm definitely on that, that train. I'm, I'm hoping for the best for Justice League and Wonder Woman that they course correct. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, those movies are in production now. So let's hope that these changes that are coming down the pipeline are coming, uh, fast enough. Yes. Nick, what else is happening? Oh, what else is happening? What else is happening? Indeed. Ooh. Okay. Um, so the latest issue of Amazing Spider-Man reveals uh, another character who is dead no more. What? Yeah, so for those that don't know, uh, there's an upcoming Spider-Man event called The Clone Conspiracy, which is reviving <laughs> oh, um, Spider-Man's probably least popular uh, period of comics. Um, but hey, you know, if it doesn't work the first time, try, try again. Or maybe there's another thing about if you keep doing the same thing and get the same result, then that's insanity. I think they're just really hoping the modern fan base either doesn't know or doesn't remember that Clone Saga happened. Knowing Dan Slott... Now, first off, let's rewind. The first person to actually revisit the Clone Saga in some shape or form was Brian Michael Bendis in his original Ultimate Spider-Man run, where I would say based on the, the, you know, first off, he contained it to one arc with the only real character getting any sort of um, traction out of the event was the female clone of Peter Parker that ended up being the Ultimate Spider-Woman, which right. honestly, she was a pretty cool character. Mm -hmm. Um so there's no reason why Spider-Man and clones can't mix. It's just, it just didn't, it just did not happen in the nineties. Now didn't I think out. a large part of this event being that, you know, the Jackal is also taking a role in this event, mm. um, who was the originator of the, of the first clone clone saga. Um, you know, this, I don't think this event is going to shy away necessarily from some elements of the original clone saga, uh -huh. but I think it's going to keep it tight and focused and whatever consequences or, or fallout does come from this event is going to be a bit more thought out than probably what was thought out back in the 90s. Now, now this is great that we're talking about the clone saga so much, but we have not revealed who this character is that is dead no more. You are correct, David, and that character is... Ba -ba -da -ba. Dr. Octopus. Wah, now, wah, wah. Dr. Octopus technically, I guess this could lead to a whole very long, not going to happen debate about what is life and what is death. Um, but technically, since the end of Spider-Verse, though technically a lot longer, 
uh, Doc Ock had housed his entire consciousness in some sort of uh, future technology that he got when he was in the year 2099, which is also a popular Marvel year, um, and had left it dormant in the present day for 100 days. This ended up leading up to about the time that Parker Industries got destroyed prior to it then reviving itself and becoming a multinational corporation. Um, um, and at this, during this whole, since the, since his consciousness has reawakened, he re, he reawoken in this robot called the living brain. He that, reawoken. Reawoken. Um, which I think is actually an old Marvel character, but Dan Slott dusted off back during Superior Spider-Man. So it's this robot that follows around Peter and Maria, um, Anna Maria Marconi, the uh, dwarf character that had a relationship with Aqua. He was in Peter's body. Um, I don't mean to define her as being a dwarf, but just in case you were curious. Um, and basically, long story short, in the latest issue of Amazing Spider-Man, Dan Slott goes through the motions of recapping you on the last time we remember seeing Doc Ock up to what he's been doing the whole time. He's been stuck in the living brain body. Um and ultimately ties into what's going on with the clone conspiracy because the whole thing is started is coming from this front from this company called New You, which promises to create uh, um, compatible organs from identical tissue, from healthy identical tissue. Doesn't necessarily say where they're getting it from. Kind of almost kind of like a uh, what's that Michael Bay movie, The Island, uh-huh. with Hugh McGregor and um, Scarlett Johansson. Um, and Doc Ock is aware of this, and basically New You is his last hope for getting his original body back, his actual Doc Ock body, not a mm-hmm. clone of Peter. So somewhere between now and the beginning, if not the middle of the clone conspiracy, Doc Ock will presumably be in his own body. So I guess this article... I guess, actually, the article does say it teases the next character to be dead no more. So technically, if, if we want to count the fact that his consciousness is being housed inside of a in technological organism that he's not truly alive yet until he's in an organic body, then yes, this is a tease of who will become dead no more. Yeah. Um, so this is this this just right here encapsulates my feelings on all of this. That is the Price is Right fail sound, which I need to <laughs> I need to cap out for the show because I need that more often. Uh, yeah, I um, no, I'm glad. Were you searching for that the whole time I was talking? I found it pretty fast. I was just waiting to interject. <laughs> um, that's it's a fair opinion to have. <laughs> it is a bit convoluted uh, as someone like myself that's been following since the beginning of the whole Superior Spider-Man storyline. Um, part of me is disappointed that Doc Ock is kind of. And I, I, at this point, I'm not going to go into the nitty gritty of why he's going back to his original body and why, in many respects, he's sort of he didn't relearn the humility that he learned by the end of Superior Spider-Man. Mm-hmm. Um, but part of me, based on those factoids, is a little bummed because I really enjoyed the character progression that Doc had. So this is almost like this is, clearly isn't the same Doc Ock that died at the end of Superior Spider-Man. Mm-hmm. So I guess I could separate the two. But if this Doc Ock just kind of goes on to Back to being the the prototypical Doc Ock, which he I'll will. Be a little sad, which he will. Don't you don't you worry your pretty little head there, Nick. I want to uh, believe, but yes, I'm 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 going to leave it at I'm cautiously optimistic. But there's right, more news to talk about. So yes. David, hit us with the next story. Uh, yes, there's. I do want to say real quick. I did not read it, but I did see the one Spider-Man panel from uh, Tom King's The Vision that came out today. 
in which he just says, oh, poop. <laughs> and I had no context, but thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed that. Well, also... That's good issue, too. Yeah, but keep going. I, I do want to read that series. I just, I'm going to wait for it all to be collected together at this point. Uh, sure. In other news, we got word that DC Comics and IDW are teaming up for the Love is Love anthology to honor the Orlando shooting victims. Uh, just a little bit about this. It'll be a 144-page love letter to the LGBTQ community uh, containing some moving and heartfelt stories using some iconic DC characters from some great, great talent, uh, including but not limited to... I mean, I don't even know where to start with this wonderful list. Names that you would probably know, like Patton Oswalt and Damon Lindelof. Uh, names we've said on the show, like Stephen Orlando and James Tinney in the Fourth, Raphael Albuquerque, Jason Aaron... Uh, Linnell Yu, uh, Phil Jimenez. I mean, there's just, there's so many names on this list that are wonderful, wonderful talent. Uh, and I'm, uh, I'm very Matt Wagner, Matt Wagner, Linnell Yu. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. And, uh, this is, this is awesome. This is a really cool thing. Uh, there's a really great cover that I love that they're doing by Rabbi, uh, Raphael Albuquerque, which has Batwoman, uh, holding a flag. And uh, it's it's the American flag, and it kind of bleeds into, or on the reverse side, I guess it is uh, the rainbow flag, and it's mm -hmm. oh, man, it's it's great. Uh, this seems like something, honestly, that I feel like we would see from Marvel more than IDW. Uh, mm. it, it just you know that feels like a Marvel move, and I think this is a, a this is kind of a step a step in the DC that they've become, where they're like you know they're they're making up i don't want to say they're making up for past mistakes with this but this is just a really cool thing for them to jump on top of and be part of and i'm really excited to see what stories uh come out of it absolutely and of course using a character like batwoman who's faced a lot of tragedy and at the same time you know for its worth is also an openly gay dc character mm -hmm. um says a lot about the cover it's a very striking cover I, I i agree with you i really like it um which one thing i'm trying to understand is What's the main reason? Like, why is DC partnering with IDW? Yeah, that is a great question. Uh, so it's a, more than 100 stories and 200 creators on board with all the proceeds going to victims, survivors, and their families via Equality Florida. Uh, this article here, I don't know if it really gets into why, but, you know, I'm not going to uh, look, you know, look, this, look the gift horse in the mouth here. This is a, a cool thing for two companies to come together and do um yeah absolutely yeah. I, was just, I was just curious because especially with a lot of the talent like these are people that have as far as i can tell have just worked with dc directly so i'm not sure mm -hmm. what aspect of it how much of it is dc and how much of it is idw yeah i wonder if it was as... yeah i wonder if it was idw uh kind of had the idea and maybe dc caught wind or they kind of put it out to other companies like hey this is what we're doing and and you know DC jumped on it. Like with DC, they're going to get, you know, bigger talent. They're going to get a wider uh, exposure. So, I mean, really, enough. it works in, out. In reading, actually, now that I'm reading some of the stuff, I mean, it, it definitely looks like this actually originated with IDW. That's what I figured. And then it basically, I think, because at least I know Mark Andreco, who was one of the more, or was probably the, the last writer on Batwoman before the series was mm -hmm. canceled. Um you know, has strong connections with DC and it must have just, you know, this is a lot of conjecture, but it must have all sort of flown from that or flowed from that. 
Yeah, yeah. Uh, and I, I will definitely be picking it up, not just because of the great talent that's involved, but because of the cause that it's supporting. And I uh, definitely encourage everyone to uh, to do the same. You can, uh, I think it's coming out in December, I believe. I'm looking to get that. Yeah, December 2016. Uh, looks like it'll be $10. I think that's well worth the price of admission for what you're getting. For sure. So. Yeah. And yeah. I think, you know, what might be a good idea, might as well just say it over the ear, is when we when we post this episode, assuming David's computer doesn't lose it because it's a uh, ex- judicial racist bigot. Um, <laughs> Ow. <laughs> I can hear you. <laughs> um, you can pre-order it online, so I think we will post that pre-order link they have in the article in the um, the post that will have this episode in it just that- so that they can refer to it. That's a great idea. Absolutely. Check the show notes. Check the show notes and... Uh, and let your local comic shop know as well if you'd rather get it through there and kind of support all around. Nick, what else is going on? Man. Um, I don't know why my name's right there. Anyway, uh, in other so, news... Because you're um, supposed to read that story. Oh, I see what you did there. Yeah. <laughs> uh, okay. Uh, Grant Morrison's Happy gets a, uh, and that's happy with an exclamation point, Mm -hmm. gets a pilot order from Sci-Fi. Happy was a book that I think came out around the time that Morrison was honestly feels like temporarily kind of moving away from superhero work. It was kind of his... It was shortly after that announcement, yeah. Yeah, kind of around there. It was very much not a superhero book. Uh, I only actually really remember reading the first couple of issues. Uh, did you read the whole thing, or it's only four or five issues? And I should say it's, I it's four it's, issues. It's an it's a uh, image book, so it's Grant Morrison and Derek Robertson. Derek uh, Robertson being known for Transmetropolitan and mm-hmm. The Boys. Yeah, um, Transmet with Warren Ellis, The Boys with Garth Ennis. But uh-huh. keep going, dude. Uh, and this book really felt like at the time kind of a stab at Mark Millar, uh, which I really enjoyed because while I wouldn't say I enjoy Mark Millar now, I've definitely softened on him a little bit with some of his more recent work uh, like Huck. But at the time this came out, I was not enjoying anything Mark Millar was putting out. Anyway, uh, it's a surreal book about a uh, about a hitman who meets a small imaginary flying blue horse named Happy, uh, who is trying to lead him on this quest, this mission to save a a young girl that's been kidnapped. Uh, It's a very interesting story. Um, Brief spoilers here. I believe it ends with the main character dying. So I imagine they'll change that up a little bit. Uh, And this is just being ordered for pilot. So there's, you know, no guarantee that this is going to move into full, you know, full-blown series. But I'd be very curious how they adapt this. I imagine it will turn into a buddy cop movie involving Happy and the small blue imaginary, or <clears throat> involving Nick, the hitman, and Happy, the small blue imaginary horse, uh, which would be probably the greatest television show that I, I would ever think of. <laughs> it's also more of a fantasy concept than sci-fi, but... Yeah, I mean, sci-fi could, I, 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 I think could do, dwell in the realm of fantasy. It's it's an urban fantasy. No, um, but I think for a channel that does like Sharknado and shit, I mean, I don't think, I, I think they've got a pretty wide berth to fit this in. Hey, hey, Sharknado could happen according to Tara Reid, our number one source on Sharknados. For actual for factual science. Yeah. 
cool. Gotcha. <laughs> That's going to do it for news. We're going to move yeah. on to our reviews here. Uh, but before we do, I just want to ask everybody out there listening, if you could hop on over and give us a review on iTunes or wherever you found this show, uh, more people who review it is the more likely we'll, we will get seen and more people will find this show. Uh, we, we want more people to hear us and share their thoughts with us. So we would really, really appreciate that. And we want other people to love us like you love us. You you do love us, right? You, you right? do. Don't you? Don't, don't you love us? Don't you, don't you want us to be happy? To the Batmobile. Let's go. Oh, oh I interrupted it. What? <laughs> right, get to it. One more time. One more time. Okay. We're, uh, all right. All right. Hold on. We're going again. To the Batmobile. Let's go. See, I forgot that you added that little thing at the end. Right. You know, I, because I, when you erased last week's episode, I also lost all my memory. <laughs> I jazzed so it I, up. I, I, it's I, also I, been this way for two weeks. I just want to point that out. Yeah. Like... But I forget things and immediately. It doesn't matter. Um, so, like most weeks that we do this show, uh, if not every week that we do this show. I don't show, think a week has happened yet where we've been like, no comics came out, guys. <laughs> yeah, I think that's pretty true. Um, comic books came out as they do. I want to say that comic books, even if there are late books, at least comic books in general, typically come out every Wednesday. That's something that you can rely on. Nick, I have a question. Where are you going with this line of thought? absolutely nowhere my friend uh so i'm you know what let me just start because we know yeah. i'm gonna ramble and i'll eventually get tired and then you can talk the rest of the show and we'll <laughs> drown, you know drown online uh, <laughs> see i'm already i'm already fading fast um a book has come out this week that i've been very excited for mostly because as david puts it i am a rick remender apologist hold um, up hold up that was shared but, in private conversation i feel like i should defend myself uh, Rick Remender is, he was joking. is an enemy to the people and that we should strike him down. No, I'm just kidding. I was, Thank you I was for kidding. elaborating. Yes, yeah. yes. Um, um, He's you not... know, I'm a big fan of Rick Remender. I know he's got his detractors as any creative force usually does. Um, but um, there's some collaborators in comics that just, as I kind of said to David as well, have that peanut butter and chocolate effect. Assuming you like peanut butter and chocolate. If you don't, what the hell? Um, you know, People like, hopefully this uh, elicits praise, Grant Morrison and Frank Quitely. Mm -hmm. um, Jeff Loeb and Tim Sale. I would say even Jeff Loeb and Ed McGinnis. Um, and um, actually, rarely enough, those are only two that I can think of. I am sure there are more. Um, but at the end of the day, Rick Remender and Jerome Pena, known for their work on Fear Agent, as well as I think what kind of put them on the map was their Uncanny X-Force from Marvel, which is a bit book that I really love. The fact that they're now working on... I think this is actually their first um, creator-owned ongoing series. Everything else has been like Jerome Pena has sort of stepped in for an arc. Like on Fear Agent, he didn't originate it. And then he launched Uncanny X-Force. So I guess... But that that's obviously a Marvel book. So this is their first creator-owned book by this, collab, uh, this <laughs> team of collaborators. And it's awesome. Um, just kind of a brief synopsis. And I actually wrote this down, so I won't screw it up. Though I don't feel like I should need to announce that to you people. Um... Seven to Eternity is set in a fantasy realm besieged by a malevolent overlord who controls the people through fear and paranoia. He is known as the God of Whispers, or the Mud King if you really don't like him. The story falls on the shoulders of a dying, disgraced knight named Adam Ositis, who, unlike his father, might have a hard time ignoring his generous offer. So just to elaborate briefly, this guy, the God of Whispers, first off, 
I was definitely getting like a He-Man's world, like Skeletor vibe from the God of Whispers. Like he doesn't have a skull face or anything, but the Skeletor. way that like, you see a page of him like sitting in a chair and it just had a sort of Skeletor lounging effect on me. Um, which honestly, I love He-Man, so I'm totally cool with it. Um, Are but you, the reason... you also a He-Man apologist? I'm also a He-Man apologist <laughs> that bashes He-Man. Look, he's um, giving us wrong ideals of how men should look and I know. and how they should wear their hair. That haircut they is atrocious. all look like skeletons, like Skeletor. Like Skeletor. Like Skeletor. Ah. Anyway. <laughs> He-Man. He-Man. You bumbling <laughs> fools. Oh, man. Uh, we got to get some He-Man sound clips on here. Stat. Oh, all right, we'll work, um, on it. we'll work on it. While you're working on that, just to elaborate a little <laughs> bit, the reason why he might have a hard time ignoring his generous offer is kind of twofold. First off, the book establishes that you know, he, it's not so much that he offers you your heart's content, but he sort of plays on your fears and then sort of gives you enough to make you feel like you're safe in a way, but then totally takes advantage of you. Uh, and also, I'm trying to think of the exact line, I don't want to bumble it too much. But long story short, if you go against him, then I think you just, oh, if you, ask, if like someone who didn't make a deal with him asks people that did make a deal to go against it, they just die. That hasn't been shown hmm. yet in the book, so that could just be hearsay that's been spread. Um, but that's one element of the book. The guy's a very, at least, and you only see him by the last page, spoilers, but very, very intense uh, villain. Very, just the way that the, the book uh, takes time to set up just every page, like the, the, the villainy of this guy just permeates it. And just when you're, when you're writing, when you're reading, sorry, a Rick Remender book, he tends to really put his characters through the ringers, like ringer, like really hardcore. So, I mean, this isn't a book that I expect to feel happy reading a lot of the time, <laughs> but I'm definitely absorbed into the fantasy world they've created. Um, and I'm excited to see where it goes. Cool. So I'll definitely have more to report. I mean, basically I, I don't want to do my usual spiel of just going through the entire issue. Uh, I really recommend people to check it out. Um, and uh, long story short, please do. Uh, yeah, Seven to Eternity, number one, by Rick Remender and Jerome O. Pena, including colors by Matt Hollingsworth and lettering by Russ Wooten. Yeah, it is, uh, it's, you know, I haven't read the book myself, but the art is great, and Remender is hit or miss for me, so perhaps I will check it out uh, when maybe the first volume hits. I, you know, I can typically get a graphic novel once or twice, or once every other month free from my comic shop. Because they have a rewards program that's pretty great, and so I will uh, maybe I'll make that a, a pickup sometime yeah. here in the future. And with Image, I think it's usually like a nine ninety nine. It is, yeah, Bruce volume thing. So that's quite a steal. It is. They they are really great and really cheap. Well, the book that I'm going to talk about this week is The Wicked and Divine eighteen thirty one one shot. Uh, every ninety years, twelve gods incarnate as humans. They are loved, they are hated, and in two years, they are dead. Telling the tale of a previous set of gods, the one-shot shows us their attempts to stay alive longer than the promised two years. So this is a, this is an issue that's taking a break from the regularly scheduled program, uh, where we we still have uh, Kieran Gillen on uh, writing, but we have art by uh, Stephanie Haynes, and uh, which is which is really great art. Uh, I am behind, I should say, on The Wicked and the Divine, uh, but I have read the first two volumes, so I, I'm pretty familiar with the premise, and I thought that should be fine for me to go ahead and jump in on this. 
Uh, and it mostly was, if you don't know the story of Wicked and Divine, I would say it's this is not the best jumping on point. It does require that you have a familiar, familiarity with these characters, but I do love the concept because they talk about every 90 years these, these people show up. Uh, but I don't want to take away from the main story to, to tell these tales, so something like this feels right, where every once in a while we can tell a story of some of these previous gods. Uh, and I, I find it very, very interesting. Uh, the, the, especially like the dynamics between the gods are always very confusing about who is, you know, who is what gender is always a big thing. Who is sleeping with who, who might possibly be related to who, which comes up in this. And, uh, and you know, give, what, what giving up your human life means. Uh, now, while having a familiarity with the concept did make it easy to access, I do feel like there is some stuff in this book, like maybe this book is explaining some things that have happened in the ongoing series or are going to happen that I don't know yet. Unfortunately, being behind, I can't quite access it. Some very interesting ideas um, are presented uh, in this. You know, they, they attempt to extend their life. They have the hand of one of the... Because there's four gods left in the story, and they have the hand of one of the dead ones, and they attempt to bring them back to life, which fails miserably. Uh, and this sort of new creature is brought to life who is still out there existing as the hint. But I don't know if that creature is currently in the, the the book that's going on it feels like it should be or it will be one day um so I, I i enjoyed the art overall the art is beautiful uh the story is you know the same sort of stuff you come to expect from the wicked and the divine uh if you're all caught up with the book you know you're probably going to enjoy this and this greater look into the storyline um but i would say that if you're not caught up then it might be a little rough to get into nick i'm going to show you just this one page here. Can you see the panel there? Yeah. I mean, uh, it's kind of the it's kind of white, so the screen's oh, reflecting that. I mean, let me see if I can zoom in here. Oh, you see that there now? Tablet power. Tablet. Uh, no, not really. Uh, all right. Well, I'll send I'll send it to you there. It's it's just a, like there's some really beautiful color work here. Um, very interesting line work. Uh, so yeah, Wicked and the Divine, 1831, one shot. If you were thinking of skipping it, you know, because you just read the main title, I would suggest still picking it up. And there's one other book that Nick and I both read this week, and that would be Trinity Number One. Trinity Number One by Francis Manipool and only Francis Manipool. <laughs> yep, that's that is correct. You have script, art, and cover by Francis Manipool uh, with. So I said color, I meant cover. I'm not sure what I said there. Now, they don't actually say who the colorist is he, in the book. The work is reminiscent of, and I, 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 it looks, I think it's Brian Busoletto who we worked with on Flash, though it's weird that he wouldn't be listed. So maybe Fred Manpool did the art, the color himself. And but. it also looks similar to the person who, I think it was also Brian Busoletto who worked with him on um, Detective, Comics. Detective Comics. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Anyway. So maybe it is him. It's weird that he wouldn't have gotten credit unless they just missed it. Yeah, that is odd. Uh, it's got to be him. These colors just scream him. But anyway, this issue, uh, which is issue number one, we basically have the Trinity coming together for a dinner at the Kent slash White household. 
you know, there's this new Superman running around. The Batman and Wonder Woman of this continuity don't know him. And this issue is about them sort of getting ready to change that. Nick, what did you think of Trinity number one? Hmm. I liked it. I, I love Francis Manipul art. So, I mean, that was a no brainer. Um, and this is probably some of his strongest line work. He definitely, you know, being the one man show that he is on this book, he clearly had enough lead time, at least with this issue, hopefully for the rest of them, though. I, I guess he'll be trading up with Clay, man. I digress. Um, it was, I wasn't anticipating it being a quiet issue, but then I think back on when Francis Manipool was doing the adventure comics with Jeff Johns, which ended up being a fairly quaint, quiet, uh, run of, of Superboy issues. Uh, I'm kind of glad that he did start it off. You know, it wasn't just bombastic. It wasn't them running into a firefight. It's sort of a, um, it, it does kind of either you it, on one hand it catches you up on some recent events on the other hand if you're not familiar with those recent events even though they're quote-unquote catching you up it might be a little jarring and you're kind of being dumped in with some admittedly somewhat creative exposition um but you know i think for some people for the uninitiated if they're just like "Ooh, trinity a book that features superman batman and wonder woman easy access it's. I wouldn't say it's the most easily accessible. Like you definitely have to be on board with the fact that this is an older Superman with a wife and his kid, um, who isn't even from this version of Earth that we're reading about. Yada yada yada. Um, as we said in our little synopsis, after the death of Superman, Batman, and Wonder Woman visit the new old Superman. Yeah, kind of lays it out in a nutshell. But for someone who like me who is initiated. Uh, I enjoyed it. I definitely enjoyed that Rainbow Batman reference. Oh, that was amazing. I'm so glad that they brought that. And to see that in Francis Manipool art is is just, it's it's great. It's wonderful. Yeah, yeah. And that will always be there. Yeah. Um, But yeah, what other thoughts did you have? So I really enjoyed this issue. Uh, Obviously, they're setting up for a bigger story, as all number ones are wont to do. Um, but it, you know, I, I think being kind of smaller and quaint right now is what this story needs because you have in other issues, this Superman running around and fighting with these other heroes, uh, and they, you know, they're taking on the villains and doing all that. I thought that this, you, you know, we need a book where they have a quiet conversation and mm-hmm. try to get to know each other. Cause yeah, you know, they're, they're all going to be friends though. I really enjoy the uh, sort of the the real reluctance that Bruce has, obviously not just because of trusting, uh, you know, a, a new unknown entity, but because they really go into the uh, the relationship that he had with the new Fifty Two Superman, where they both lost their parents, and that that bound them together in this way that Bruce and and Clark of of pre Fifty Two of pre Flashpoint they didn't have that bond. And yeah. that's, that's not something that I, I think has ever really been talked about or considered at this point. So there's mm-hmm. really interesting to have that brought up. And I, I really want to see that dynamic played out a little bit more, uh, you know, where at least for a time that this, these are not, you know, this is not our Batman Superman. They are not best friends forever. Uh, I did. Uh, I, I, I loved all the individual shots of, you know, the, of the heroes in their costumes that were interjected at various points. Uh, I think, you know, we have Francis Manipool's art really, really on display. 
Uh, I'm curious about the relationship between Lois and uh, and Wonder Woman that they're kind of hinting at. Of uh, you know this this friendship coming out. It's yeah. It's all it's all just real solid work. Uh, Francis Manipool art didn't doesn't feel rushed like you said. And I hope that we continue getting this caliber of book uh, from this series. And Trinity's not a new book, right? They they did a Trinity book back in 2008. And, there was a, a weekly um, series, you know, which centered on the importance of Batman, Superman, and Wonder Woman. Um, but, I mean, this is, like, the first... On, this is basically the replacement of Superman, Wonder Woman, and Batman, Superman. Putting them all, all three of them in just in one book. Yeah. So, I, I this is not my recommendation for the week, but... It's uh, it's a book that I definitely recommend people check out if you are on the DC side of things at all. Nick, do you have any more thoughts on uh, on Trinity before we move on? Um, yeah, no, no strong thoughts. I think we've kind of hit the nail on the head. It was like I said, it was all catch up. So I mean, content wise, it's just kind of all sort of character work and getting you comfortable. Um, but I think now that he's kind of got the footing there, and if you're if you're on board, I think you're going to be on board with this book for the long haul. Absolutely. And when we take some time off from talking about Batman books, we'll probably talk about that book occasionally. Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, how can we really? There's so much Detective Comics and Batman to talk about, especially with Night of the Monster Men, which I still haven't read as of this recording. Uh, but I'm looking forward to seeing what that is all about. Anyway, if that's going to do it for reviews, then we are going to move on now to our discussion. Nerd Rage! It's over 9,000! Which is really the worst possible clip I could have created. And, uh, yeah, I'll probably change that one. Anyway, our discussion topic for the night. The news came out this week that in August, over 10 million comics shipped into the direct market for the first time since 1998. That is almost uh, 20 years since that has happened. Now, but, this is specifically... Um, what am I trying to say? This is specifically two comic shops. This isn't like a loot crate or anything contributing to inflated uh, books ordered. Right, exactly, and uh, and usually you would see that reflected in the number one where you get, or in the top ten list where you get something like Orphan Black or Rocket Raccoon, you know, in one of the top ten spots, but that did not happen this time around. Uh, however, ten million, it's a big number, but what does it really mean? Um... I mean, I suppose on a certain well, let's let's look, let's look first at what does it mean that these were shipped to the re. This is what was shipped to the retailers. What does that mean? All right. Well, first off, for those that know, um, shipped to the retailers just means that it's literally in the retailer's hands. From there, it doesn't necessarily equate to how many individual issues were then sold to consumers like us. Um, so, on one hand. You can say, oh, well, then they could have a whole a whole bunch left over of X number of comics. But at the same time, retailers, I think at this point in the, the history of the industry, um, unless they kind of get duped into something, like I know sometimes I, I've read criticism where like they have to order X number of a particular issue to get to like do... a certain variant, mm -hmm. stuff like that. So, you know, not every, not every issue of these 10 million is equated to like a one-to-one -one that someone on the other side of that issue being ordered is going to pick it up. Mm -hmm. But 
if you take away the, the more pessimistic side, you could also say that retailers are feeling more um, cor- courageous. Is that the right word? Uh, more confident in ordering more issues, uh, individual is- or ordering more of a series um, because more people are buying. I mean, the the readership is expanding. Uh, it's it's more inclusive to women now. It's more including to people of of other ethnicities, minorities. Um, you know, sexual orientation, things like that. Like it's in my mind, it's only getting better. And the more people we're able to include, the more people they're going to be willing to buy. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, so now, 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 some things to mention here as well. While a number of those books were probably returnable, uh, some may not have been. Some may have been to get certain variants, which you know people in the shops can kind of demand. This does not include uh, digital sales, which they're still oddly cagey about. Uh, and just some other facts to go along with this. This is, uh, well, DC was leading the way this month, which is very unusual, uh, especially in the last few years. They're posting their highest share since September of 2013. And uh, and they had 39% of the dollar share over Marvel's 31%. So 44% unit share over Marvel's 32%. You know, there's a lot there, but here's the top 10 books. And this might, uh, you know, this might say something about what people are looking for. We have Harley Quinn, number one, All-Star Batman, number one, Suicide Squad, number one, Amazing Spider-Man, number 16, Suicide Squad, Rebirth, number one, Batman, number four, Batman, number five, Justice League, number two, Harley Quinn number two and Supergirl Rebirth number one. What does this say to me? That people respond to what is on their screens. We have a number of Suicide Squad books at the top. Uh, you know, we have Batman books, which always tend to do well. You have a Batman book with a, a, a highly regarded team there at the number two spot. Uh, but one thing that really stands out is that there's only one Marvel book in the top 10. Nick, when will Marvel be closing its doors? <laughs> Doom. Doom. No, no, of course not. Um, You know what? Great on DC. I think, I mean, what, 20, well, you, wait, you said 2013 was the last time DC had most of the top 10, right? Uh, let's see. They were, well, they were posting their highest share since September of 2013. So uh, there's two. There's two metrics. There's the market share, and then like unit share. I think. Yeah, the dollar and share and the unit of, share. What? Dollar share and unit share. Dollar share and unit share. Yeah, I forget which one's more important. I mean, we're, we're honestly experts on this, so we're kind of going to give our our take on it. But we could be totally off base. Mm-hmm. But anyway, it's still a clear sign that that DC, um, to some respects has regained um, a lot of the trust that they lost since the New 52. And they did it in a lot of ways without actually even getting rid of the New 52. Like, yeah. it, I mean, I don't... They're only going to make it more complicated if on the other side of this, the rebirth business, where like this whole uh, 10 years have been stolen from the care, from from the history of the world or something like that, if they give it back, then you're jumping 10 years into the future or reestablishing timelines or saying this happened, this didn't happen. But, you know, I think simply saying that this new 52 world is in fact the pre 52 world with some alterations is again, still a bit of a mouthful, but (laughs) because we're already in the swing of it, 
you know, people can sort people that are fans of the New Fifty Two can sort of they're still in that universe. Like mm-hmm. everything that's come out of Rebirth has sort of added on to or meshed with the, the New Fifty Two with some pre Fifty Two. Some of it's just ideas. Some of it's um, um, like actual characters being reinserted or being re sort of reformatted. Like say Amanda Waller doesn't look like the Amanda Waller that she's looked like. For the last several years, yeah, and you have um, you have relationships reformed like Black Canary and Green Arrow. Green Arrow, it's 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 kind of getting the best of both worlds in a way. Like, sure, there are going to be the people that absolutely want the pre fifty two you know world back, but that world had its own kind of complications and, and gaps as it as it was. Mm-hmm. But long story short, DC did something right with first off, I think having this event kind of take place over a few months, releasing some of these new books is one thing that Marvel has always done, at least back since I think the original Marvel now, where instead of just dropping everything in one month, they pace it out over a few months. They give time so that not everyone has to be on the same page at once um, and doesn't just kind of blow your load, so to speak, in that first month. And suddenly the excitement's gone. You know what I mean? That. Mm. Yeah. It's the only analogy that I could clearly come up with. Anyway, <laughs> I mean, um, as much as I hate Marvel's continual soft reboots, they have proven that to be a viable strategy. And now we see DC doing the same thing. And guess what? It really worked out for them. It worked. But at the same time, it remains to be seen whether or not this once is... we hit like issues 12 to 20 or something on some right. of their series, if they're just going to turn around and reboot on us. Um, so mm-hmm. it could be something where they might be willing to let the books breathe for two to three or four years and then reboot them uh, or relaunch them with new number ones. Um, but at the end of the day, if they can prove that with this content that people clearly are enjoying, that they're going to keep their numbers up as much as comic book numbers can stay up, mm-hmm. they have a pretty good chance. That being said, once we get into Marvel Now 2.0 in the fall, Marvel's probably going to retake that. But well, hopefully I, it's a sign that the rivalry is going to be a bit more or double-sided, not just one side with Marvel always taking the number one spot. Now, yeah, we, we say rivalry, but we kind of have to tack an asterisk onto that, where that is like a fan rivalry. No, like, not, not even that. Not even the who's going to fight Superman or Thor. It's from a business standpoint. Right, from, yeah, when from it comes literally down to dollars and units, who's but, sort of in the lead. Yeah, and Marvel never wants DC to go away. They want to do better than them. DC wants to do better than Marvel. But neither company wants the other one to go away yeah. uh, because that would be bad. <laughs> if, if no, they, no one wins in that situation. If they had no competition, it would just it would be bad news. Bad news bears, guys. Bad news bears. Yeah, if these are long-term, uh, you know, long-term numbers does remain to be seen. I'm hoping that we see just a more mixed top 10 as time goes on uh, obviously you know you have batman number five selling less shares than batman number four the double shipping might cause some issues there it's there, there's there's a ton to speculate about and part of this is because you know we get the direct sales numbers to the retailers but we never get the actual sale numbers to the consumers they've pretty much never released these numbers that I think that's tough. First off, not you know, not all comic shops are created equal, and equal doesn't necessarily you know. It, so the, they just can operate differently. So when it comes down to you know, the system is basically set up where the customers are the direct are the comic shops. They buy the comics from Diamond mm-hmm. as a distributor, but once they're in the store, however the shop wants to 
you know, um, record the, the purchase information isn't necessarily like everyone's using the same exact system so that it can be tracked. Right. So the, the idea of them having to go and hunt down every single comic shop and say, give me your numbers or something, or that I just... Under the current system, unless they implement some sort of universal system to track actual purchases within the store, I don't think that's going to happen. And part of me understands it as much as I'd be really curious to see how many are actually being left on shelves. Yeah, and, and part of the issue there is we don't – even if we did have a way to track those numbers, like Walmart can track those numbers. You know, some, some stores can, some stores do because you have to kind of keep an eye on your inventory, obviously, mm-hmm. but they don't know specific books. It's really hard to track who bought – 10 copies of Harley Quinn number one versus, you know, 10 individual sales. Those, uh, th- those numbers are definitely harder to come by and, you know, they're going to conflate, but really how many comic readers are out there? Because I talk to people all the time, people that I've known for years, and I'll mention something about uh, the new Batman issue. And they will say to me, they're still making Batman comics. Most of the world doesn't there's probably less than uh, I was you know reading some numbers today. People were saying definitely less than a hundred thousand consistent readers, people who have subscription boxes and all that. And we know that all of you are listening to this show currently, and we love your patronage. Uh, but I mean, yeah, comics are in a, in, a, in a strange place, but they seem to be on the rise yet again. I think digital sales have helped with that. I mean, the the, the more avenues that people have to read it, as, especially as they, they adapt to changing purchasing behaviors, uh, is going to be huge for for the for the industry. Yeah, the, the number is small. I do think it will get bigger if it will ever blossom into millions and millions and millions and rival TV shows is unlikely, but never impossible. Mm. Um, but I mean... Yeah, it is a really when you think about it, like it's it's a really small number. It, it absolutely is, which makes this more the labor of love than than anything. And we just enjoy doing this show to do this show because you know that's life. You just you gotta find guys. You gotta find what you can. Things that make your existence your short time on the spinning ball through space not so horrifying, and just hold on to it. And just dig your fingers in until they feel like they're about to fall off and just never let go. Thanks, Dad. Um, <laughs> That's the advice that was given to me on my wedding day by my father. That was not what the advice that I heard your dad give you on your wedding day. Oh, yeah, you were in the room when that happened. I, I was. Um, oh, boy. Yeah. Yeah. What was I going to say? Um, it's gone. Do you see it the uh, Do you see the brief look at the new Zords for the uh, Power Rangers movie? I was trying to click on the link and it wouldn't load, so no, I have not. Well, it's the Zords look cool. They're pretty close they... up. I don't know. We'll see. Uh, I think that is about going to do it for the bulk of the show. Before we go, though, we always want to leave you with some recommendations. And when we're looking for recommendations, we always have to ask ourselves one important question. You boys aren't nerds, are you? Absolutely, we are. So, Nick, what nerdy thing are you here to recommend? Well, I'm here to recommend Superior Spider-Man. The, reading the, t- today's issue of Amazing Spider-Man and talking about the uh, news article earlier. Um, maybe go and check our website to double-check that I've never actually apparently recommended it 
as a formal recommendation at least. Hmm. So here I am, Superior Spider-Man by Dan Slott and uh, a slew of great artists, including Giuseppe Comancoli, uh, Ryan Stegman, um, and yeah, unfortunately I'm forgetting the rest. I apologize. <laughs> um, for the initiated, for those that maybe just are tuning in now, um, Superior Spider-Man is the uh, misadventures of Doc Ock residing in Peter Parker's body after Peter Parker was presumably killed, as consciousness at least, by Doc Ock and then who took over. But because of Peter, Peter Parker's sort of overwhelming essence of respons- you know, power and responsibility, it sort of overwhelmed Doc's, Doc Ock's own sort of moral code and causes him to want to be an even better heroic Spider-Man than Peter Parker could ever ever be. So very egotistically driven, um, but there's some great moments in this series. Um, he changes a lot of things in a ways that are still being felt in today's Spider-Man, even with Peter Parker back. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just, I mean, it's the kind of book that people always balk at, but... I mean, it did what it set out to do. People say they want something different. It did something really different. While at the same time, by the end of it, spoilers, it brings you some, in some ways back to the status quo if the status quo is simply Peter Parker is in control of his body. But in the meantime, it's I found it to be... It kind of got me back into Spider-Man comics. I was there for the J. Michael Straczynski run, which led right into One More Day. And Ugh. I felt disillusioned after that and just kind of fell off the wagon. For whatever reason, this book was different enough to get me to pique my interest, and I've been reading it ever since. So, yeah, check it out. Superior Spider-Man by Dan Slott and Varios. Excellent stuff. I'm recommending... Yes, I'm going to recommend another podcast this week, people, but I need you to understand. Currently, my work is insanely busy, and we have... Uh, I'm working nine hours at a time uh, right now, just answering a constant stream of emails... And I just, you know, I don't have much time for, for video games or comics or, or any of that. Uh, but what I do have time for is podcasts while I'm working. And one that I started listening to last week uh, is The Adventure Zone, which is a live play D&D podcast, uh, which I know what you're saying. Whoa, okay, I'll read comics, but I'm not going to listen to this nerdy crap. <laughs> uh, and here I am to say that you should give it a try. It is really, really funny. It's a show that I am guffawing at quite regularly. Uh, They do a really good job of adhering to the rules just enough to make stuff, you know, to make it fine uh, and, you know, to have some fun random dice rolls every once in a while. But they fudge a lot of stuff and just do whatever they're doing. And uh, it's, it's really great. Uh, they're about an hour each. I started listening last week, and uh, I am on episode. Uh, looking up here, so episode thirty-six out of forty-eight. So I'll be caught up soon. Uh, so if you're looking for a new podcast to listen to, or if you've never really checked out D and D before, uh, this I say this is a good place to start. You will uh, you will thoroughly enjoy it and have a great time. And even if you're not looking for D and D, this is just it's fun. It's funny. I had there's a part of an episode that I had to listen to twice because I was laughing so hard I like had to hear it again immediately, uh, which I don't do with a lot of stuff. Uh, but yeah, the Adventure Zone out now. You know one of the greatest tragedies? Oh, and they they update every other week, so you don't have to commit to a weekly show, which is great. You know one of the greatest tragedies of us losing our last episode was? What was that? All of our pronunciations of Joe Mangelli's name. Oh my gosh, you're right. Yeah. 
Yeah, people will never know about Joe Joe Mang Mang. That means Arkansas never happened. Nope, never happened. But I'm sure we'll talk about Joe Manginino uh, a lot as as trailers and promo art for uh, Batman, the, the currently unnamed Batman movie come out. Batman Arkham Oranges. Uh, we got to get that one in WB right now. That's their room. <laughs> that's their improvement. That'll change things up. People love oranges. It's true. I can verify. I love oranges. Well, I think that's going to do it for us. Nick, unless you have anything else you want to say, throw out there right now. Anything just scratching at your brain? Oogly boogly. That was helpful. Thank you. Oh, boy. Uh, As always, you can find more about the show by heading on over to heckyeahcomics.com or dropping us a line at heckyeahcomics at gmail.com. We want to hear from you, hear your thoughts. And uh, and all that jazz. Uh, you can find me on Twitter and uh, Snapchat under Davluz. That is D A V L U Z. You can find Nick uh, playing Overwatch. Is that would that be accurate, Nick? Is that all you're doing with your life? Just playing Overwatch. Um, yeah, more or less. Yeah, more or less. And as always, you can find us here next week. Same heck yeah time, same heck yeah channel. If you enjoyed the show, then please tell your friends. And if you hated it, then please tell your enemies. Until next time, goodbye. Ever.